Welcome to the Beacon Way Podcast, where your hosts, Jennifer Christensen and Adrian Wilkerson, talk shop about what really works in today's digital marketing world. As the co-founders of Beacon Media and Marketing, Jennifer and Adrian have been a part of digital marketing since its early stages in the mid-2000s. Tune in as they shine light on what works and what doesn't in the ever-changing world of digital marketing for small businesses. back to the Beacon Way podcast. I've got Adrian here with me today, which is great. And we've got a really special guest, Paul, who founded the Marketing AI Institute. And we also followed Paul back in the day when he also wrote the, I think it was the first book on inbound marketing. Agency Blueprint one. You still have it. That's cool. Someday I'll get a sign. You get get to decide. Anytime. I still have it. Yes. Dog ear. It was our Bible in a small town of Anchorage, Alaska, trying to figure out how to start a successful inbound marketing agency. And I can remember all the times we would go back to it. That's awesome. We think it's working. (laughs) We're doing the right things, even though nobody else seems to know what we're talking about. But really excited to have you here today, Paul. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation. It's such a hot topic and it's always fascinating to get different perspectives on it and hear what different people are thinking about and where they're at with their adoption. So I love to have the conversations. Yeah. I will just start off by saying that as I started on this process at the end of last year, Adrian and I and our other business partner, Ken, really going, okay, we need to start focusing on that. We've always tried to be early adopters in whatever we're doing and where the market's changing. Uh, And as I started to just research AI and see what was out there, I found myself just feeling such a level of confusion and frustration and a little bit of fear, to be honest. And then when I came across the Institute Marketing AI and following you, one, it was that amazing experience to go back to. Oh, my gosh, this is the guy (laughs) we followed when we started. (laughs) Come full circle. Yeah. That's funny. But it was also this piece that I felt of, okay, Mm -hmm. here's somebody who's been thinking about this, started putting a Mm -hmm. system together. And you'd actually created a process or how to even evaluate which different vendors we should be looking at and taking on. So it's first of all, just thank you for doing that. I'd love to hear just what made you start thinking about this, obviously ahead of most of us in the marketing world. Yeah, it was ironically around the time you were probably reading the marketing agency blueprint. I wrote it in I wrote that in spring of 2011, and that was the year that IBM Watson won on Jeopardy. And so right after I finished the manuscript for the book, I actually started looking into what was Watson and how did it work. And I was originally thinking about it related to the agency. So I was running PR 2020 at the time, which was HubSpot's first partner firm. And people would come to us for budget recommendations for their marketing budget, or they would say, hey, we want to grow 500 leads next quarter. How do we do it? How much is it going to cost? And as an agency, you're like, I don't don't know. There's a million ways we could do this. How much do you have? It's the question every agency asks, what is your budget? What is it going to cost? Is every client always comes back with that. So I had come to believe by 2012 that the human mind was incapable of building an optimal marketing strategy. So when I graduated college in 2000, there was like 10 ways to spend marketing dollars. You had your obvious things like direct mail and trade mm-hmm. shows, ads and PR and whatever. By 2012, there was like 10,000 ways to spend marketing dollars. So I was going to say, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. But when someone comes to me and says, how do I do this? It's, I don't know. There's social media now. There's blogs. There's podcasts. We're probably starting to emerge around the time. So there's all these new ways to do things. And so I thought what this Watson thing is maybe once I realized it was just like a probability engine, like it just predicted the probability of 
an answer that maybe you could apply that to marketing and I could feed it my challenge and it could give me ways to do marketing. And this was like, I was just thinking out loud, like maybe this is what I could do. So I started researching it to see, is this possible? And I spent a couple of years on it. I wrote a little bit about it in my second book in 2014 about this idea of an intelligence engine that would be fed all the marketing data and could predict what to do. And it was just a theory at the time. But then I became obsessed with this idea and I started really researching deeply around 2014, 2015. And that was when 2016, we decided to create the Marketing AI Institute. And it was actually a subset of DBA of my agency. And it was just, let's just start researching and writing about it and making it understandable to other people. And maybe we'll figure out some play in the process. And then I eventually split that off from the agency in 2019 and self-funded building this media and event company. And then I sold my agency in 2021 to focus just on the AI stuff. So it's been like a 12-year journey to arrive at what wow, hopefully I, is helping people now. I had no idea. Yeah. That's amazing that you were thinking about it back then, because that's the question a lot of agencies I don't think are even asking now. Yes, it was very earth. <laughs> have you been just personality wise? Have you been on that extreme early adoption? Well, not not by design, but even like having the first HubSpot agency. I don't know if you've ever heard that story, but the way that sort of transpired is I was in late 2007, I had read about HubSpot and I called them and Halligan, like the founder was on one of my calls. Like we were that early in, they had like 30 or 50 employees or something like that at the time. And I saw HubSpot as a path to teach my team about social media and mobile and all these things that were emerging in that time period. So 2007, like YouTube was a couple years old. Facebook was a year old. The iPhone had just come out in June of 2007, whatever. So like the world had just changed. And I'm like, how do I teach these young people I'm hiring out of college about the new marketing that I didn't even learn about in college? And I saw HubSpot as a path to do it. So I signed up mainly to get access to their knowledge base and start learning from them. And then I eventually put the JavaScript on our site and started realizing like, oh, wait, I could bundle our services with their software. And that became the, the origin of the partner program that exists today was like us just going out and reselling HubSpot when there was no commissions to do it. There was no real incentive other than <laughs> it was just value. <laughs> Yeah, that again, I just saw an opportunity in the market. This is like a hundred times bigger than that. Like HubSpot's incredible. I still work with HubSpot. We still use HubSpot. I'm still a huge believer in what they're doing, but the AI thing is yeah. bigger than I saw that they just incorporated an AI piece, right? Yeah. yeah, Dharmesh Shah built ChatSpot, which is their play into the language model space or the chat space. And then they're doing some other interesting things as well. Yeah. So I told you a little bit about our listeners and just they tend to be early agency owners or people that are looking for help with marketing, maybe asking some of those same questions where should I be putting dollars? Yeah. What do you feel is the most relevant information for them right now as far as where their time should be focused, what they should be thinking about? They got to put, they got to decide to do something with this, right? Yeah. Really not an option. So at its core, AI is just smarter technology. So you think about that all the technologies you're using to do what you do as an agency, you have CRM systems, you have email, social media, advertising, good web development, like whatever your firm does or whatever if you're hiring agencies, the things you're hiring them for, you have this technology, you need to find smarter tech that has AI infused into it, that gets better based on new data, continually makes you better at your job. The main things it does, though, is it'll intelligently automate repetitive tasks. So if you take a podcast, you say, okay, there's 21 steps every time we do a podcast. We develop a brief, we record the thing, we improve the audio, we do a transcription, we do summers, like all these things. Mm -hmm. So you can just take some and say, okay, which of those steps can AI help us do? 
And so the way as an agency, you start to look at it is say, where are most of our resources going? Our human resources and our financial resources. Are there any inefficient, obvious inefficient areas there? Are we spending a ton of time doing content production? Let's say you're helping with content marketing for your clients. Maybe you're spending 500 hours a month across the agency writing blog posts and developing eBooks and whatever else you're creating. Right. If you could go get an AI writing tool that can cut 20% of that time down, 30% of that time down, it's a massive saving. That's a full-time equivalent employee, basically, if you start to do it that way. And so that's what you do is like you develop an understanding of what is AI and what is it capable of doing, which again, intelligent automation, repetitive tasks, making prediction about outcomes, improving creativity, things like that. And then you look across the services you offer and say, where could we be infusing it? And don't try and do it all at once. Pick one or two or three pilot projects each quarter and gradually start infusing it, but start at the top of the the areas of biggest impact. Yeah. And I love that about the course. I don't mean to keep plugging your course, but I think that creating a framework when you're looking at something this massive, and we all know this is going to be hugely disruptive. It is disruptive already. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is going to affect all of our lives, our careers, our businesses, the whole thing. Having some sort of format of how you make those decisions, mm-hmm. I think is crucial. And that's what really helped me of right. looking at, that's why I decided to start first in our content department. And yeah. what's been awesome for us is that we've got people on our team that once I gave a few openings, they just going for it, yeah, cool. really have put some great things together themselves. I will say this, we had a couple people a little bit resistant as well. And try to tell us all the reasons that they didn't think that it was going to be helpful. And how have you dealt with that when you've had people come back and just say, I can't possibly replace a human in this particular situation? Yeah, there's two camps there. The one is it can't possibly, and the other is I don't want it to. And I think sometimes they blur. <laughs> so <laughs> the people who just don't believe it, you can just show them. Like that's an easy one to solve for. The people who don't want it to do is a much harder one to solve for. Because in writers, creatives in general, the big movement for AI has been this generative AI concept. The idea that I can give a prompt to an AI agent like a chat GPT and it can generate something. And that can be for text, images, video, audio, code, like any, anywhere. So if you're talking to creators who make their living as designers, as illustrators, as writers, It's often more, they just don't want to accept that AI can do what they do. And they don't even want to give it the time of day because they don't, even if it can, they don't want to know it. And Mm -hmm. I empathize with that. That's a really hard thing. I'm a writer. My wife's an artist. My daughter wants to be an artist. My son wants to be a video game developer. Like we're creators (laughs) by nature. And so I totally get the idea that I understand AI can write, but I don't want it to write. Like I, I don't use it actually as a writing tool. So as crazy as that is, right. Probably I post to LinkedIn one to two times a day. That has become my main channel to publish ideas and usually between three and 500 words. So I'm writing between 600 and a thousand words a day that I share on LinkedIn, which becomes fodder for our podcast. I don't use, I don't even use Grammarly. Like I use zero AI in all this stuff I write because to me, writing is a process of critical thinking. And I'm trying to like flush out ideas in my mind. And I do that through writing. Like it's my way of thinking. Oh, gotcha. So I'm not like if I, now, if I was like, okay, I got to write a blog post on 10 tips for X, Y, Z, I would probably use it. And my team does use it, especially within our podcast for transcriptions and summarization. It's not like we don't use AI, but I don't personally have any need for it in my daily writing regimen. And I don't want it in my daily writing regimen. I enjoy the process of writing. And if you're using it, especially like you said, you're, it's the critical, it's the way that you're able to get those thoughts out. And right. then that's almost part of your creative process that is accomplishing something specific for you, not yeah, but, 
answer. I will do for just today. We were going to do a blueprint on a specific vertical industry, the application of AI to a specific area. And so I went to ChatGPT. I said, give me an outline. Like here's, I give it a very extensive prompt, like a very strategic prompt, but I said, give me an outline for this. And it was freaking better than any employee I ever had at the agency would have written in two minutes. It was insane. Yeah. And so there's still moments where I use this tech and I'm like, yeah, this is really good. Just at the beginning, right? Yeah. This is seventh month. When ChatGPT came out, uh, it was two-year-old technology. So the thing that took the world by storm in November had been sitting in the labs for two years. And the GPT-4, which is like on a whole nother level, is seven-month-old technology. So they were working on like safety and alignment for seven months within their lab. Which means there's stuff like probably a year ahead of what we're seeing. And that's really hard to imagine because this stuff's doubling in its capability, like every six to 12 months, which means there's probably something twice as powerful as GPT-4 sitting at OpenAI's lab or Google's lab or Microsoft's lab. And that's really hard to imagine. What does that mean? It's not really, the human mind isn't really designed to comprehend what that means. (laughs) Yeah. Your question specifically? I've seen a lot of, chatter, if you will, where people are really advising companies to use AI. And the term that I hear them use a lot is use it for the first draft Yeah, and then go in. What's your take on that? Is that, does that align with what you're seeing or not so much? Yeah, it certainly can. I think, uh, so one, I, I want to probably preface this with the copyright issue. So right. on March 16th, the copyright office in the United States came out with updated guidance that said that if AI generates something, you can't have copyright on it. So if you're an agency and you're using AI tools to write content for clients under a work for hire agreement, which means they are assuming that they can copyright whatever you give them right. and right. you write it with an AI and you don't, you do not heavily edit it, then you probably just breached your contract, which right. most agencies have no clue. That's sure. so I'll say that ahead of time. Um, that being said, it's very good at developing first drafts. I prefer to use it as an outline tool. I think that's a safer play. That's so, what so I mean, And then because what it requires is like, it helps you really quickly get ideas on paper that you can then scratch and move around. Two, it requires domain expertise to assess the output because these things make stuff up. Like just because it has a really cohesive outline doesn't mean it's actually really good. There's like a human layer that goes and says, okay, this is actually a really good outline. I'm going to build this out. And like, all right, cool, I've got it. Now what I would do is, I would probably, as you're then going through and building out that post based on the outline you have, that's where you could write yours and then give it to chapter. You say, make this simpler, put this to the seventh grade level. Okay, great. And you can actually use these tools to continually enhance what you're doing. Now, if you're a novice writer or you don't consider yourself a really strong writer, you may just go in and say, write me a first draft. And then you're going to work iteratively on top of that. But I think the key is to look at it as a writing assistant, not a writing replacement. And yeah. however that you develop your workflow around, that's the like the North Star. Yeah, and we've been leaning really heavily into the Google Eat and going more with branded and authority and yeah. going that direction. And I feel like they're a little bit opposing each other, but not completely. I think, I think if you're using it the way that you're talking about it, actually it just becomes something that that speeds up the process a little bit, makes it a little bit better, but we're not losing any of the expertise, the authority, making sure that we're getting in the pieces that honestly people are paying us to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, if you're getting paid to create content, you got to start keeping an eye to the horizon of what's going to happen with search and organic traffic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I'm focused on branded so much right now. Yeah. Branded and really authentic stuff. I think podcasts are great. I think videos are great. I think events are great. I think opinion pieces with clear points of view are great. Like 
I, I know, at least me personally, and I'm really close to it, but I want to read something that I know came from you. Like, I don't want to get done with, it's not just a chat GPT post. Did they just come up with a clever prompt? I don't want to feel that. Like, I want to I actually know you put thought into it and that, you know, there was something there. Now, again, not all marketing content needs to be that way. It just needs to be, have a utility. Like, it's just answering a question, whatever. But I think that the branded stuff, to your point, is going to become really important and that there's clearly people behind the content that's coming out. Absolutely. Because why am I going to go with you versus somebody else? I really need to know you. And- Anybody can prompt chat GPT. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you're coming at this from a marketing background, which to me, just there's so much extra credibility in that. You ran into that world, all those pieces. One of the things that I loved about when the Institute, when you gave a math equation of if at the end of this year, you're saving 30% by using these tools, you're mm-hmm. efficient technically that you're going to be able to produce the same content or quality at a lower cost, which you now put that over two or three years, it's going to be almost impossible for another agency or a competitor to keep up with that. You still stand by that sort of theory of this is why this is such a disruptive time? Yeah, I I do. I think that, I mean, you're just talking about like a writing example, but imagine an agency and you can be a 10-person agency, 100-person agency, 1,000-person agency, I don't care. Like the percentages are still going to play out the same. So if you're going to if you're gonna improve efficiency 10, 20, 30%, and you start doing it across writing and advertising and video yep. production and graphic design, and you're moving forward in all those directions and your peer, your competitors, and still trying to figure out what this stuff is because maybe the CEO doesn't buy into it or the directors don't want to change or whatever it is it this isn't a we'll catch up in 2024 thing this is like a game over by 2024 thing because the tech isn't stopping it's not in 2007 2008 2009 one agency got hubspot and the other didn't it's okay if you got hubspot you're probably going to be an incrementally better firm and you could offer more value to your clients and it would make a difference in your services but realistically, like I could just go get Marketo two years later and I'd catch up. Like it it wasn't, the game wasn't over. It was just an evolving. This is like within the next 12 months, you're going to have the haves and the have nots. And if you haven't started moving in the direction of figuring this stuff out and starting to infuse it, I don't know how you catch up, honestly. It's going to be really hard. Because we're adapting pretty much as fast as we can right now. And it's challenging to adapt. So I can't even imagine being 12 months down the road and then trying to start yeah. right now. That's a good warning shot. I think not to have fear, but I think, yeah. it, I, think no, I, I think it's urgency. I always stress to our team, we're not, we cannot use fear as a motivating factor, but right, right before ChatGPT came out, like October of last year, I did a couple of talks and it just felt different. Came off the stage and mm-hmm. people were just getting it and asking very strategic questions. And I told them, I was like, something has changed. But I, I think that we, I was also starting to feel that things are going to start moving really fast. And I said, we have to start using urgency in our messaging, not fear. Right. But I do think okay. people need to have a sense of urgency to do this for them and for their teams and for their clients if you're an agency. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So I know you have a couple of things coming up event-wise. You've got, I think, even an agency summit, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. that right. And then there was another event. What are the two big ones you've got? We have our Marketing AI Conference, which is the annual conference in Cleveland. So that's right. July 26th to the 28th. And that's at the convention center right across from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If anybody has been in Cleveland for Content Marketing World, it's at the same location as Content Marketing World. Yeah. And then AI for Agencies Summit is a virtual event November 2nd. Excellent. Yeah, I... 
Really wanted to go to the July one. It should be, it should be cool. Absolutely. Okay. I really thank you for your time. I think this was a really good starting point. So again, Marketing AI Institute, it, it basically, it's, you've got a same program that I think that I went through. Nothing has really changed. Yeah, the Piloting AI for Marketers course is the on-demand series with the certification. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you're recommending besides that? I think just following probably what's happening online, right? Yeah, I, I think we have a newsletter that comes every week. The Marketing AI Show podcast is our weekly kind of what's new in AI. And that's the thing that's just become like our most popular platform. So to stay up to date, that's probably a really good thing if you're into podcasts. Okay. And then we have the book, the Marketing Artificial Intelligence book, which is a good quick read to get caught up on a lot of it. Great. Okay, thank you for your time. And we'll post all those links for everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Beacon Way. We hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give us some stars on your podcast channel of choice. For more information, tips, and notes from the show, check us out at beaconmm.com. For more information on how Beacon can help market your business, email us at welcome at beaconmm.com.